Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Welcome. Welcome to Mechanations, a critical analysis and rewatch podcast. I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> How are you boys doing today? Not too bad. I'm hanging in there. I'm living my life. It's 2020. <laughs> I spent the weekend at a parent's place up in Lake Placid. Isolated, of course, but I returned and my corn has grown exponentially. Um, the stalks are coming in. The, the f- little frizzy stuff, you, I, I'll know the terminology eventually, but the frizzy stuff that grows around the corn, you know what I'm talking about, the, the hair shit, um, the, that's the starting husk? to grow in. Is, what's it called? The husk? The husk. The husk is starting to grow in. Yeah. The cob's not there yet, but the husk nah. has started to appear, so that's very exciting. Well, that's cool. Uh, nature is healing, I suppose. That's what I keep hearing anyway. <laughs> PMC, did you uh, did you have something for us from from the Speed Force? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, so what, when this episode releases, we'll be in the middle of SGDQ 2020, and uh, I didn't get any runs in, but uh, I will be helping with commentary for uh, KZ Fru's Miami Vice run. Which uh, at this moment will be 5:30 a.m. on Friday. So cool. you know, if you, if you like to wake up, you can wake up and then you have some cocaine immediately. <laughs> cocaine, uh, Miami Vice, Gun to Wing, episode 30. Yes, that's right. And I should mention that the uh, Casey Free somehow talked them into doing all cutscenes for the game, which which mm, Miami Vice speedrun is like uh, like. 12 minutes because we we figured out that you could just clip through every door in the game (laughs) is this based on the the circa 2005 2006 2007 film so this is miami vice this is miami vice 2004 which Mm. was a game released for i believe ps2 xbox and pc only in pal regions only in europe oh wow there was a outfit called Davilex uh, that would get the licenses to a bunch of TV shows and movies, and they released a bunch of PAL-only uh, adaptations. Uh, most of them are very infamous for being bad. Uh, yeah. Beverly Hills Cop was called... Uh, Jeff Gersman called Beverly Hills Cop for the PlayStation 2 the 9-11 of video games. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. So. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so and there's more like that, like Knight Rider. They did two Knight Rider games and and things like that. So this is one of those. There is a PSP game based on the Michael Mann movie that you're yeah. thinking of, uh, but that's this is a, not that's that. a moody movie. It's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good you know, cinematography. Uh, but besides that, I don't know. I, I haven't been playing too much in mech stuff recently. I've just really I've had like a crime renaissance uh, in my gaming life. I I've, mm. I've played. Uh, the saboteur, which is a really, really good, if you, if folks, if you need the catharsis of killing Nazis right now, I can't, I can't <laughs> recommend anything more than going to like GOG, get, especially the GOG version, uh, not the origin version, uh, but the saboteur, one of the la- last game made by Pandemic Studios, very good development house that EA added to their murder list, and uh, and play it's it's just a super fun game with a nice story set in World War Two in Paris, and you. Just murder Nazis constantly. It's very good. Uh, and then also, I, I, I'm partway through Scarface, The World is Yours, uh, which is the <laughs> 2006 game, which sounds like it would be... A, like Most of those licensed games of that era, again, you know, much like the, the Davilex ones, are, are not good. The Reservoir Dykes game, not good. Uh, the Sopranos game that I played through, not great. Um, Scarface is actually really good. The it's it's sort of a what if scenario of what if Tony Montana survived the end of the Scarface movie, 
and um, it's really fun. The driving's fun. The shooting's fun. It simulates this sort of rise of a crime empire where you start dealing on the streets, and then you deal from your fronts, and then you travel to the islands to directly get the you know the the cocaine yourself and cocaine. Um, it's it's interesting. It's actually it's it's I mean it's very vulgar. Uh, when you when you game over, the game over screen says you fucked up. <laughs> just okay. no mints and also if you if you uh antagonize the police too much uh, there gets to a point where basically the police decide to just delete you and oh, then and okay. then you are just alerted that sounds that, apropos yeah it, you're you're alerted at that point that you are fucked and there's nothing the hud goes away it's like the end of halo reach it's just you're dead now like there's nothing you can do <laughs> um, well yep that, that is an interesting sort of uh, PMC cocainum saga that you've got going on over there. Between yeah. I'm also old- learning the San Andreas speedrun as well, um, which is also more more of that mid 2000s era of, of open world games. Just just after starting the Salvatore, I was like, I just want more of this right now. So that's kind of where I've been living. It's interesting to to you know like not to bring it back to our our last conversation about the Last of Us Part Two, but it, it's interesting to go back in video game years like. 15 20 years ago at this point and is that right did i fuck up that math no that's not that's no right, that's right. right i mean san Andreas is what 2004 scarface is 2006 you know you're yeah. right yeah right in that area 15 like 20 years ago and um like instead of just mimicking movies apparently games were just doing that like with with the saboteur and uh you know sopranos i know not a movie it's a tv show but follow me here and and uh the, you know all this stuff where they're just instead of like okay let's let's adapt the stuff that we saw into like a new thing we we could also just get that license and do that um and it's kind of you know i'm not the first one to make this observation about treading the discourse water every every, you know 10 years or so but it's just interesting to see that like actualized in that way whereas now we have like your last of us part two and your ghost of Tsushima and, and you know, that sort of thing where it's, I guess ghost of Tsushima is a different conversation because they're, they're also trying to do that with the Kurosawa mode and all that noise. Um, but I'm glad that you're having fun. Saboteur is and and the, um, uh, gosh, what is Scarface game are, are ones that I remember hearing about back in the day. I definitely remember hearing that, uh, the Scarface game was cause like, you know, uh, movie, uh, adaptation games have like a, like a reputation, you yeah. know, like he, you know what you're in for, unless it's Spider-Man two, which everyone agreed to enjoy. Um, I think, uh, I think the Wolverine origins game is another one that is known for being surprisingly decent. And that Scarface game is another one that I can think of where people liked that. I think, um, I think the mafia games are sort of in that same ilk t- as well. Mafia is, is the series I've never really, I, I don't know if I'd be able to pick that one out from a lineup, so to speak of like open world crime, crime games. I mean, uh, the, the thing about mafia is just that it's very dedicated to, especially one and two are dedicated to the, the period piece. Like they are, you know, trying to be that early 20th century mafia three was more interesting because it was, I think like a uh, deep South 1960s. You're, you're a black man, but organized crime. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it has yeah, a very you, interesting premise. I think, um, yes, I think I've I've heard that be just uh, in lieu of following Austin Walker for a decent amount of time. I think he's spoken about Mafia Three. Um, uh, Stephen, do you? We're we're gonna leave the Speed Force. Uh, do you do you have anything here for us? Can you take us yeah. to Warp Ten? We real <laughs> quick before we go to uh, Warp Infinity. Peter Jackson's King Kong, pretty good licensed video game. 
Oh yeah, that's another good one. I remember. I remember hearing that one. Is surprising. It has a hilarious title, right? Isn't it like it is Peter Jackson title? It's like Peter Jackson's yeah. King Kong, the official game, I believe. Is Something what it's like called. that. I remember I, I encountered that on a demo disc, and the demo was completely borked on the demo disc. But <laughs> oh no, I'm sure the game is fine. It's a really uh, easy, infamously or famously uh, easy achievement get if that was your thing back in the day. But anyway, uh, let's see what I've been working on. Um, pretty slow week for me. Still stuck in stratum number three in Etrian Odyssey. Got to the boss, got my shit owned, so got to go back to the salt mines on that one. What else have I been doing? Voyager's been getting pretty good. Um, Star Trek fans really like to famously gatekeep and instruct newcomers how and what to watch. Um, only watch the even movies, for example. Don't watch the odd movies. Uh, start Star Trek Next Gen once Riker gets his beard. Um, both of those, I think, are pretty fallacious. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture is my kind of movie. It's very ponderous. I, could, I understand why people don't like it, but I think it's worth a watch. Mm. Uh, Search for Spock, I think, is inoffensive. Not great, but... Um, again, worth a watch. I think Generations owns, but that's a very Steven Hero thing. So I think the even odds thing is not correct, even though I do understand where people are coming from with that. Um, Next Gen, there are still some pretty good episodes in Season 2 and a few good episodes in Season 1. But anyway, getting back to my point, if I were to take this gatekeeping mentality and apply it to Star Trek Voyager, I would recommend, if you had to cut the fat, to jump in at Season 4. I would not. I do not want to erase Kess from existence, but I think it really finds a nice, comfortable groove in season four. Star Trek Voyager is very much like the Jerry Bruckheimer approach to Star Trek television showmaking. It's all about the spectacle. It's not about quiet moments. Well, there are a few quiet moments with the cast members, but it's not really about growth necessarily. It's not about contemplating ethical questions, even though the show does do that occasionally i just don't think it sticks the landing and i don't think voyager's strong suit is its thoughtfulness i think its strong suit is just how bold and brash it can get it really is like a summer blockbuster film at times so i just watch year of hell part one and part two. Oh, i was gonna ask if it was year of hell that, yeah. that's usually where people start to get like really into voyager for sure uh anyway sorry i don't mean to cut you off it's it's a it's a famous uh it's a famous pair of episodes i, I won't give the nitty-gritty details, but the dad from that 70s show is a scientist from this empire. The empire got erased, but he is, he can, he lives outside of time because of technology, and he can manipulate timelines, so he's been trying to reconstruct the timeline perfectly, so the Krenum empire that he was a part of has been restored to its former glory, and he'd also get his family who passed away in that, you know, original erasure back, too. Of course, you can't bring back the past. You cannot relive the past. If the Great Gatsby has taught us anything, it's that. But he's a very larger-than-life character, kind of like your Captain Ahab's, kind of like your, even like the Count of Monte Cristo, even though it's not really necessarily dealing with revenge, that same thematic impulse that you can't reclaim what once was, be it through revenge or genocide, is still there. But it's a really good episode. Originally, the writers of Voyage were actually planning to make the Year of Hell the entire season, which would be extraordinarily experimental, but it's only contained to these two episodes. Um, the structure is that Voyager gets stuck in this time paradox, this very particular timeline, and they're getting their asses handed to them. So you really see Voyager lose crew over time. You see the ship get absolutely wrecked, which is pleasurable in and of itself because while the storytelling is not taking a lot of risks, the, the set design is. And it's very it's just a, like a really fun summer blockbuster film. And the inclusion of Seven does help for some particular reasons. 
Like like Kate Mulgrew, I really bristle at the notion that the show needed some TNA in order to get better. However, knowing where the show ends up, and even later with Picard, I really do like the character of Seven, even though I do not like the creative and economic impulse to put Seven in. I wasn't overwhelmingly fond of the character of Kess, but I, she was a nice addition to the crew, that didn't, and she didn't get the growth that she deserved. But I still do like Seven as a character and how she grows throughout the show. And season four is a, has a lot of like really exciting episodes. Like I'm going to get to later this week, The Killing Game Part 1 and 2. And that's like a, kind of like a Predator meets Star Trek in the holodeck. You got these predators oh yeah yeah the the herogen or whatever they're called yeah, yeah the yeah, herogen yeah. they're hunting in the holodecks and there's this world they're all not simulation yeah. yeah it's it's a lot of fun though so i'm really looking forward to tracking voyager throughout season four and season five this is where i entered when i was a kid when seven appeared on the show so C- it's, can uh, i yeah can, can i ask a, i gotta so here's here's the thing i'm gonna and i'm not see, i'm not doing this to puncture the conversation around voyager but but this is i i want to uh talk about something particular when it comes to this show mm-hmm. do you have a favorite character the doctor okay so with the doctor you know uh, a, a lot of what's interesting about the, the doctor has to do with his like sort of outsider nature from everybody else he gets to kind of be the the like the writers get to check in and make a comment about a character, and he's pretty invincible, right? Like, they can't really do anything to him. They can they can delete him, and, and he can be in danger from time to time from, you know, if something happens to the ship, something obviously happens to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so Robert Picardo, who is also delightful, like, is a, a you know, a wonderful presence to see on screen. It, it really gets to have a lot of fun. But, like, my big problem with Voyager has always been that the... Uh, I think it's weak on character. Oh, and I, definitely. I think, and I think it, it's weak on character because the nobody agreed on who anybody was supposed to be. Like, be that the actors, the individual writers. Like, it, it changes from week to week. And and part of the reason why it cleans up in season four with Seven of Nine is that like everybody knew what Seven of Nine was going to be. Right? It was mm. she was going to be Borg, which was a big money maker for Star Trek. Borg episodes were the ones that everybody loved. That's why Voyager gets so Borg heavy. Right. Like even Year of Hell, which is time travel focused, like Rick Berman was obsessed with time travel. Like as soon as he could put time travel into a concept, it became that specifically. I wouldn't be surprised if Year of Hell like didn't start as a time travel story. Uh, Fun fact, this is the at least the second time that the dad from that 70s show has been on Star Trek. Uh, He was also the president of the Federation in the sixth movie, the uh, Uh, the the Cold uh, War one, the Klingon Uh, one. Uh, well, so yeah, the one where um, uh, uh, David Warner as a Klingon is assassinated, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Kirk and, and undiscovered country. Yes, that's the one. Thank you. It's the Shakespeare quote. Yeah, that's the one with the Klingon who keeps quoting Shakespeare. I love that guy. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're in the part of Voyager where there the a lot of that confusion is starting to get less uh, or more focused. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I think Janeway has more thoroughly fallen into like hard ass captain. Whereas before there was like a, a balance they were trying to walk and it just, it was frustrating. Yeah. Uh, and, um, same with like, 
Blana is like, you know, has fallen directly into her thing. And I, I don't know what Tom's thing even is. Like, I, I guess like Wunderkind or whatever is what Tom Paris's thing was supposed to be. Yeah, he's much uh, more smarmy in the, the like the first two seasons, like a womanizer. And not to say that he doesn't have those inclinations later on, but they do soften his character where he's kind of like a dork who's really into like the 50s cars and like holodeck programs based off of like 1920s serials. Yeah, I think I think when it comes to um, you know, there's there's an, a, a kind of parallel conversation when it comes to like how to it, like enter into not enter, but like how how do like start watching Star Trek uh, when it comes to like Gundam, right? There's there is a a a whole sort of like conversation when it comes to like ah, oh, which Gundam do I start at? And then I've never really thoroughly understood what the confusion is there necessarily. I mean, like. Uh, either there is an original show and i feel like that is like the logical standpoint but i know there are people who are like i uh, it, it old i don't want to watch it you know it old now and I, like, I, I fall into that camp even though i would recommend the first six films wait really like because the reason i ask is because like like the, the when it comes to animation like I, I granted this is true when it comes to all sorts of stuff but when it comes to animation like you there are at least like quirks you know it's like yeah there's a charm to that 70s style and the music oh like you you are denying yourself some some sweet sweet tunes if you don't go watch the original but, but my point is that like you don't have to start at the original. You could watch any, even the yeah. Universal Century show, and and be fine. Like there might be some throwaway characters that people mention. That oh, you might I know. I was sorry. Any. I was talking about uh, Star Trek, not uh, oh. Mobile Suit Gundam. No, I was talking about Gundam. I was yeah. going to say no. animation. What are we talking about? No, 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 no. I mean, you should also watch the original animated series because it's hilarious. But uh, the no, I was talking about Mobile Suit Gundam. Uh, but the the thing I was going to say is the same thing with is with Star Trek. Just watch the one with the characters you like. Give it three episodes. Uh, even the first season of TNG. Like, if you enter into that understanding that the show transforms radically, then I, I don't understand what the what the problem would even be with sticking with the original. Because like. There's there's a lot of fun to be had with those early bad episodes. Like it, it's not like you know, uh, if if you immediately hate it because of how corny it is, then yeah, don't watch Star Trek. You'll probably won't like it. It doesn't get less corny, <laughs> like ever. Like even when it gets better performed or better shot, or when the plots are a little bit easier to follow, or definitely not reused from the original series because there's a writer strike happening. You know, then there it gets better. It, Maybe, it gets exponentially like, worse the few times it doesn't try to be corny. See the J.J. Abrams Wrath of Khan film. Yeah, see, that one is a, more of a J.J. Abrams problem than a, than a uh, Star Trek problem, in my opinion. Like, the, uh, uh, Into Darkness is just typical, like, oh, uh, we at Hollywood are, you, you know, we hire the people who are easy to work with and who deliver quote-unquote results and not necessarily someone who has any sort of passion or idea about what the thing should be like you know that's that's a whole other conversation though the into darkness was an early warning for rise of skywalker imo uh hurry up and start a war uh speaking of early warnings (laughs) do you guys want to start talking about gundam wing uh, do you guys want to start? Uh, do you guys have you ever heard of the paradox of tolerance? You guys want to start talking about that? I lecture about it every week. <laughs> All right, so let's get going with the first episode. Was this twenty nine? Yes, this is twenty nine. Twenty nine. The heroine of the battlefield. 
I always thought it was like Dorothy's talking about drugs, but no. Um, <clears throat> Relina is preaching the path of peace. And suddenly, you know what? People seem for it. <laughs> People seem into it. Uh, Hero and Catra, meanwhile, are captured by Romafeller, but their captor is kind. Too kind for this war per hero. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Sally Poe gets captured as well, but Noin breaks her out without too much fuss. It's not much of a thing, but while they're doing it, they are gushing about how much they love the Gundam boys. A new student enrolls at Relina's school? Academy? Dorothy Catalonia, who is the granddaughter of Duke Fascism. She loves Vaux. And isn't at all a walking, talking paradox of tolerance. Relina doesn't seem too fussed about it either, though, so I guess it's just the audience that will need to suffer. That's it. That's that's all that happens at twenty nine. It's 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 a you know. Let me let me put it like this. I, I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to start the tone of this being like <laughs> um, sounding mad because I'm not mad. Um, Gundam Wing is so much fun to watch because it is a, a an exercise in trying to figure out, um, did I not understand that or was there no direction given for that line? They just read out loud. And, and I have to assume sometimes there's just no direction given for how lines should be read. <laughs> um, but I will also say the plot in this one and these two episodes feels much more coherent than we oh, have yeah. when we've had in the past a hundred percent there's yeah, a lot less like disparate forces acting against each other it's it's streamlined a lot now now having said that uh that doesn't mean it when i say coherent it mean i'm what i mean is followable i don't mean that it makes sense <laughs> that, that that they're making logical choices especially with the next episode i have a lot of questions about some of the the, the decisions made in the next episode but in this one, we we we're we're kind of chilling for a while. We're we're hanging with Relina and um, Pagan. Uh, uh, Pagan, by the way, is uh, well on his way to becoming my favorite Gundam Wing character. <laughs> um, yeah, I loved his scene uh, later in the episode uh, where <laughs> he's just like, "Well, I brought this pistol with me in case I needed to murder the sixteen-year-old." It's <laughs> like, just so harsh, you know, in a way that's like the show doesn't seem to like. Anyway, we, we can talk about that later. Um, when it comes to this episode, do you guys have... <laughs> I really want to know what your what your first thought is when it comes to Heroine of the Battlefield. Because it, it's covering a lot of ground. And, and so, for me, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I guess we could just start at the start. But did you have any first thoughts before we dive in? Uh, th- thank goodness Relina is back. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, and I, I think, like, let's be, let's be articulate about that, too, is that... Relina, I think, is a, is a good. Relina is a character that makes things in the show followable because she states that she has a viewpoint. Is that viewpoint necessarily coherent? We'll talk about it. But right, um, she helps provide a, you know a, a sort of side. She is she is the Saint Kingdom side for right. absolute pacifism, total pacifism, no war, no no sir. So she no is a clearly articulated side, um, and you know she she both has she has emotions, articulated emotions. You know we'll 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 get to it next episode, but like you know she has feelings about hero, uh, but also she inspires loyalty, which in this show is a little weird. I think the loyalty that the Gundam boys inspire is weird, and I'm not sure what to make of it. But with Relina. If, I feel like at least it fits a more traditional mold. I mean, certainly the mold of you know Relina and Pagan, 
or also how how Noin has become loyal to Relina by way of Zex. Yeah. You know, like those those relationships and that kind of loyalty, like, oh, Noin wants to do the dirty work to support Relina. Hmm. Easy. Got it. Right. Good point. That's actually a really excellent point about how grounded she is comparably. Uh, Steven, did you have a thought there? Yeah, you guys are taking all my talking points, but I'm glad that Relina is uh, has a more active role in the narrative. I am worried of what I'll refer to as the dumbing down of Relina. I miss the Relina who wants to bathe in the blood of Oz. Yeah, and, same. Um, this Relina seems to conform more to traditional gender roles, which we'll talk more about maybe later. So I'm 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 happy on one hand that she has more screen time. And especially in the second half of the show, I just miss the feistiness of, uh, I guess I'll refer to her as Vengeful Relina for now. Yeah, Vor Relina was definitely something I enjoyed quite a bit in the early times. But yeah, I, I think I, I would I would definitely, um, uh, I, I definitely compliment that uh, observation that her... Mm, uh, her ideology is clearly stated. So we understand the position oh, yeah. that she's starting from, right? Um it, uh, okay, so this is what we're clearly establishing, that, that Relina and therefore the Sank Kingdom's uh, uh, philosophy of what they're referring to as total pacifism, which which appears to just be, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to be mean about it, but th- it appears to just be kind of like, like sticking your hands in your ears and going la 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 <laughs> la until, you know, until I guess you die. Um, uh, and that's... Hmm, how do I... Uh, so in Gundam Wing, how they've decided to sort of uh, approach this problem is that uh, they're going to introduce a a opposing viewpoint, right? Like, Relina is a... What we're shown here is that she is a, a, uh, a strong personality figure. I, I don't want to call what she's starting a cult of personality necessarily because that, that has very negative connotations, but I, I think that's close to the truth. Yeah, yeah, especially well, I, with uh, Dorothy. Yeah, with Dorothy, but also even with that opening scene of all all the dignitaries, uh, you know, I think it's very much everyone. It's not like it's 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 not just total pacifism. It's total pacifism of the Sank Kingdom, and that's really it, you know that that's but the fact that the total pacifism is tied to the Sank Kingdom is like you know you might as well like have have like trademarked it or something you know. So real quick, I want to clarify this actually, because because uh, I mean, I I got the impression that Dorothy was being extremely sarcastic and manipulative. That that she doesn't really admire Relina in any regard. Maybe she re- admires Relina as like a like a rival or peer, but like that was I, my I, understanding at best. Like it, the the most sincere you could take Dorothy at her words was the fact that she is spoiling for a fight, which you know we see again in the next episode. Right. I mean, like, she's... I, I, th- I think she is there... I think Pagan is correct that, that she is there as a, like... Oh, yeah. Pagan's right, yeah. A, a poisonous influence <laughs> sent by Romafeller. Like, I mean, that's the problem with Dorothy's character is that Relina is... Uh, boy. And I guess we'll just see how the text can treats this moving forward. But, like, Relina and the show have no mechanism to actually deal with, with Dorothy's point of view at all. Like... You know, and we'll see this a couple times where Dorothy will be like, by the way, your ideology makes no sense in light of reality. And Relina's like, yeah, I guess, and and moves <laughs> on in, in a way that the show can just move on. And, you know, that's uh, maybe it's just frustrating for Ignis. That's that's not unfair. <laughs> like, I would much rather Relina had, like, a response of some kind other than, and there's an argument for, 
you know, Relina understanding that her point of view, her position here makes her vulnerable. And that's part of the, the strength, the nobility of her position, right? Is that she understands that, uh, you know, if someone decides to enact violence on her, her ideology, her philosophy would prevent her from defending herself. I think there are lines that suggest that, especially in the next episode. Um, but it's just tough because, it, it, you know, this might just be the times we're in currently, but like, I, I, I feel like there needs to be a stronger acknowledgement that there isn't like an arbiter of truth that's going to show up and like smite people who are saying untruths or, or spreading things in bad faith. Like that's never going to happen. Right. So, so people of, uh, you know, strong character of, of with good intentions do need to sometimes put up boundaries so that people with bad faith intentions who, who need platforms to spread that stuff can't do that, which is exactly what's happening. Right. Like, and we'll see this a little bit more in the next episode when, when Relina is like, I don't know, <laughs> giving a class. <laughs> like, I don't know what this institution is that, that she's at or that Dorothy has come to, but yeah. Um, there's, there's one I'll- thing I want to touch on real quick because it just addresses what Ignis mentioned before to, and it was a good observation, um, talking about how coherent the show is. One thing I've noticed, too, is they don't use the term Oz anymore, now that there's that been that internal fracturing between the Trey's faction and the Roma fellow loyalist, and everything is so much more streamlined in that regard. It might not make sense, but you just have Roma feller on one hand, and then you have everyone rallying around the Sank Kingdom. So they don't even use the term Oz anymore, at least not in the dub. Very rarely well, do they use it. Well, so the, I, you're you're mostly right because there there is one part in this episode where um uh, captured Sally they're they're told she's she's like uh what are you guys gonna do and they're like well you should be thankful this new Oz is kind because you've got a room with a fireplace in it <laughs> and and like those guys are definitely Roma Feller guys just because we see them in the well no I think I might be getting this wrong I I'm I think the blue uniforms are Roma Feller guys, and the green uniforms yep. are Oz Trey's loyalists. I, I, I started writing green shirts and purple shirts in my notes because I didn't <laughs> want to think about whether they were Oz or Roma Feller. So I was like, let me just let me just stick to the clothing cues. Well, yeah, depending so who you're asking, too, if you ask a Roma Feller loyalist, they might still say they're Oz, and the Trey's faction still might say they're Oz. Well, so, and this is where I get frustrated with this, because now what they're doing with this Oz faction which which will be a little bit more put in stone in the next episode is creating a world state by which Trace can be a protagonist which sucks i hate it that's so frustrating like i know that that's, that's not what they're going to be ending up with in the long run I, mm. I remember some things that are going to happen moving forward and and Trace is not a good guy that's not what i'm saying i'm not you saying mean he's, he's not the hero in- the hero of our times well, so that's the thing, though, is that it feels like this is a move to put him in a position where he's not, because he's not allied with the antagonists anymore. Rumafeller are, like, straight up, like, cartoon villainy, yeah. right? And and I know we're watching a cartoon. Leave me alone. But the <laughs> the, the the point I'm making is that, like, now with with his, like, nobility and, you know, his, his, his sense of, because uh, he, he's just, like, Noin and Sally, and he also admires the Gundam boys, and he, he wants to follow after them and stuff like that. Um, and, and the show puts this as a position that, you know, people we should admire are in. Like, it, it's it's one that the only person who seems to have very little respect for the Gundam boys is Relina. But we'll talk about that in the next episode. <laughs> um, um, uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, of uh, uh, like 
fiddle faddle in this episode where we're just sort of like uh, uh, chewing fat for a while, which I usually like. But this one has an interesting choice. So Hiro and Katra have arrived on Earth. Um, and it's confusing at first, or it confused me at first, but they were basically captured immediately um, because they fell into, I guess, the bayou. Um, and <laughs> I read it as Australia, just because there's a map that comes up later on yeah, so, with computer screens. Right. We do see a map when when uh, Katra and Hero are looking up what uh, Roma Feller is up to, and they d- discover that they're trying to destroy the Gundam units that are on Earth. Um, but I, I so the when Captain Oh gosh, what was his name? Trumbull. Townsend. Townsend. <laughs> well, it's a very British name. That's why I originally thought they landed in England, but then I saw there's palm trees. I'm putting they, more thought than maybe the illustrators did here. I really thought they landed in like a GI Joe PSA because I swear <laughs> that guy was like a GI Joe PSA guy. He, he like, does sound like a GI Joe. Me 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 me. On next me, episode, me. we have fucking like Hunter S. Thompson leading Hero into battle. Oh, I love that guy, voiced by Scott McNeil. That was uh, so good. The, yep. He was definitely that's the duo guy, Scott. McNeil, well, I mean, it's just but... duo in disguise trying to get back at Hero for that time. <laughs> Hero gave a class presentation and said his name was Duo. I love it because it's like only like just off of his rat trap voice a little bit, or his the voice he used to do for Piccolo in the uh, the uh, Deke dub. But anyway, um, uh, Hero and Catra were captured almost instantly, and like. So the Gundam boys are savants and and can do anything basically any time that they want to and are are basically in no danger. Um, and sometimes this is fine. Um, sometimes it doesn't. It, you know they're the heroes of the story. They're the protagonists. Sometimes it's kind of fine. Like people complain about this with the Lord of the Rings movies sometimes, where they're the protagonists seem to never be in danger and to constantly leap into situations that they should have been killed in. Sometimes that's fine. It's a story. It's fake. You know, <laughs> like. That's what the uh, but it doesn't work in this episode for me with the Gundam boys because it's very hard to tell what's happening ever. So like there's so they're on the beach and they're um they're hanging with some some good boys some dogs that are that seem cool. I mean those uh, are and- the military search dogs, right? Like yes, th- those yeah. dogs are aggressive at no point in the entire episode. But like, right. I'm pretty sure they were trying to find them using the dogs. The dogs <laughs> were guarding them. But like I guess the dogs are just good good boys. <laughs> yeah, well that's the thing is that they just act like domesticated dogs yeah. and and I I could be wrong. Like I'm I'm not the a, a dog expert, but from from what I understand from Hunter Hunter is that there's a difference between a guard dog and a dog used for official purposes like yeah. like for military purposes or police purposes and you know, a doggo, a house dog, you know? Um, but I, I'm also fine with, and again, with the hunter-hunter logic, I'm fine with Catra's kindness being enough to, to set them at ease and to, to make them feel like domesticated dogs rather than, you know... Like, you could make an argument... Uh, what I thought they might be going for if this show had any brains would be the, like... Uh, Ooh, uh, Agnes uh, is bringing the fire that I usually bring. <laughs> Look, I'm not mad at this episode, okay? It's just that, like... We, we've been, okay, we did the Big O, and before that we did Gurren Lagann, and, and every time there was something I could latch onto and be like, ah, okay, there's an idea here, I can chew on this for a little while, but Gundam Wing, and this is not, I'm not You're hating. basically reading uh, my notes out loud, keep going. <laughs> I'm not hating on this, it's just Gundam Wing is more of a show where it's just a series of things that happen, and that's fine, like, the, 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 not every show that we do is going to have, like, a weird metatextual thing going on or it's going to be like a Twin Peaks like dreamscape sort of situation. It's just that like 
with this show, it feels like they're never on track. And I, and hopefully what I'm hoping is that in the future and this, these two seem like a peek into that world, we're going to be on track soon, right? Like there's at least like a, a, a straightforward idea here, which is that Rulina's peace loving is catching on and that is threatening Roma Feller, right? So that's what we're going to be doing for the next few episodes is that hero and catcher on earth and they're going to be doing something with Relina, aided by Sally Poe and Noin, and also other forces. And probably, while that's happening in space, uh, you know, we'll talk about later how Gundam Wing spoils us, but <laughs> Duo and, and uh, Wufei will probably also be doing something. Um, and, like, that is more direction, right? Like, Gundam Wing, for better or for worse, completely lost direction as soon as Oz won in, like, episode five. Right. Like we, we were just uh, uh, um, wandering around like a chicken with its head cut off for a long time without a real sense of like what Gundam Wing was about. Um, and we're getting closer now. Like we're, we're landing on Relina being the main character of Gundam Wing, which I'm all about. I, I'm cool with that. Um, but at the same time, we, we are also in this weird situation where we spend a lot of time with Sally and Noin in this episode. Not a lot of time. I, I wish we could spend more time. Yeah. Really. Where's my Sally Noin show? Noin's well, my favorite character. Well, for, I agree, one hundred percent. Like they, I actually love these two when they're together. Um, but it, it also occurred to me because they keep talking about the Gundam boys, right? Yeah. Um, and I was kept thinking, like, do they not know any of their names? <laughs> Is that why they keep saying those boys? They, I just <laughs> want to say that, that I'm, you know that I'm proud to know this boy, right? That's what, what Sally said in like episode four. <laughs> This really yeah. hits home because as a teacher who occasionally interacts with students who have long since graduated, there's a dance you do when someone comes up to you and you have no effing idea what his what or her name is. is. Oh, no. it, ma- it makes my heart hurt, but I am especially don't have great memory, so I I've, I'm full guilty of this, as my uh, fellow teachers can attest to. There's a little dance so, you do, and I I hope I hope desperately that the student doesn't know, but you would have to be like brain dead not to know. I can't remember your name. I, I, I have to I have to emphasize because I know I'm coming strong and swinging at this kind of episode, but I I didn't dislike either of these episodes at all or, or I, the, I, the. I agree. Like these were pretty inoffensive as far as Gundam Wing episodes go. I think for me at least, the, yeah, these episodes t- hit two two like a few major points for me in what makes good Gundam Wing episodes. <laughs> I feel like good Gundam Wing episodes have some level of coherence. Right. They feature uh battles between henchman units which are always more compelling than the gundams just one-shotting everything you have the, the cancer pisces fights in the next episode you have lots of leo on leo fighting and some aries on, on virgo and whatnot great and then also you have i mean it's it's comical but you do have the on foot sections um <laughs> yeah i mm-hmm. katra and hero taking over the boat and then just kicking everyone off in the light boats like is I don't. I was like having, <laughs> like oh, a, oh, it's so like much a fun. Panic attack the whole time. Like here, you can't just jump off the plane like that. <laughs> what What are you doing? What is going on? Well, he can. His invincible boy body. Right, he's will invincible. So I mean, he self destructed a Gundam while he was inside it, and it was fine. It was just fine. He woke up like a week later. But the the I mean that comes back to that thing I was bringing up earlier, where it's kind of fine that the Gundam boys are never in any real danger. But it does also make the situation they're in confusing, right? Because they are captured, and the Romafeller guys have orders to execute the Gundam pilots, right? And and we hear Trumbull say when when he's driving away, you know, uh, executing those boys would be easy, and and like. <laughs> 
This is kind of that the line I was thinking of when I was like, oh, I don't know if he had any direction on how to read that line. Because mm. what I think he's saying there is not like it would be easy to kill children, which which he, I don't think is what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that philosophically it would be easier to just execute those kids. That that it would be easier to have them just be killed than than live with them and what they stand for, right? Um, but I don't think that's how that line comes off. That just, for me, get, gets into that bucket of words, 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 words. Um, but it also, it makes the, the situation they're in messier to follow. Because I they're not worried at any point. They're chilling with the dogs. Um, there's a, a point later in the episode that, that Stephen Hero, you brought up, where they're hacking into the, the Romafeller computers. Or not even hacking. They They walk into the tent and, like... Nice. You know, we we can make it. It's clear that they're sneaking in, that they're not supposed to have access because Hero cuts his way into that tent. But they're not like worried <laughs> or like checking anything or like you know. Early in the show, one of the things that we complimented was the like the sneaking action that that the boys would sometimes get into, where they would demonstrate their their prowess as as soldiers, as children of war. Um, and, and like, they just didn't bother with it this time around. And there's a certain amount where I'm, I'm happy to let that go. Right. Where I'm just like, oh, sure. I, I know that they're super soldiers. I know that they, they could figure out a way to get into these. But like, it also, when you take it for granted like this, it, it, it kind of prevents it from being exciting or interesting. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I thought the, Okay, and PMC, you, you made an excellent joke about this on Twitter. I, I, I thought them kicking all of the boys off of the, the destroyers was very funny. Um, I especially like Catra's line, no funny business. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> How come no one just shot you right then? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like they're two amateurs holding up a convenience store or something, you yeah. know? Like, I don't... <laughs> It's just, you know, and, and obviously almost immediately after Catra being like, you know, there's there's Hero out there in a Leo, the land mobile suit. And he's just like, I mean, if it was up to me, I just would have killed all of you. <laughs> but I've got Catra Rabarba winner with me. So, <laughs> Stephen, did you have something? I'm sorry. No. Well, it's uh, Rabarba. No, that wasn't it, though. <laughs> um, oh, the dogs. The one thing I have not, like nothing symbolic to say about the dogs. The one thing mm. that I thought of though is endless waltz. I seem I remember an image of like hero grappling with his newfound humanity in endless waltz, thinking about like a, a some destruction that happened on some space colony, and there's a girl with maybe a dead dog or like a, a doll of a dead dog or something. I don't know if it's going to lead to anything. I just want to I want to plant my memory flag here to see if it might bear fruit in the future. Yeah, that's a flashback. Uh, I think that's a, a, a flashback to just before the events of the show, I believe. And, Was it a and dog think, or like a doll? Well, so the dog is a metaphor, unfortunately. It stands for the dead girl who had the dog. Uh, the dog is also dead. Okay. But the dog the, is a metaphor, unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, so like to speak on that, that, that question There's of the like, the dog's... Of my, uh, Gundam Wing essay. <laughs> the dog is a metaphor, comma, unfortunately. Um... Uh, that's an essay title to me. <laughs> it's not bad. The uh, uh, the thing I was going to state about the, the dogs earlier, though, is that I, I'm fine with that. I, I love that sort of visual storytelling. Like, this is a, a, a thing that you learn about uh, uh, when it comes to the sorts of actualization that can happen with fiction. Like, uh, actualization is too broad a word for what I want to say. So like uh, I I like one of the things I like about mech shows is that be, the the include including mechs at all means that you can demonstrate something about your character purely visually right 
like you know we associate the our characters with the mechs that they pilot and it's not because the mechs they pilot look like them it but we do impart some kind of characterization onto those mechs via their pilots, right? When you look at the tall geese, you think of Zex, and you think of masked Zex, not unmasked Zex, right? Like, and there's a reason you're that specific with it. Same thing with um, uh, Wing Zero, right? Wing Zero, you, you might think of either Hero or Catra, right? And, and there's, like, there's a interesting thing you can do there as an exercise when you think about, okay, what do those two characters have in common, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's... A, a an exercise that can be done there with the elements of that fiction. Um, and there's a similar thing that's happening with the dogs, right? The dogs are a very, um, <laughs> like, 101 version of how to do this, where Hero says it out loud, right? Where he's like, animals are good at detecting kindness. Um, and, um, <laughs> uh, and we have a hilarious um, Red Letter Media-esque edit of Catcher being like, I love dogs. <laughs> you know, as he's running along with the dogs in the sunset, and like what the, what's going on here is, I, I, you know, I don't want to be dismissive, but it's it's the boys trying to figure out what they're going to be doing with their lives, right? Because on one hand, they they have a vague plan of like return to the earth. Because if you remember the last time we saw Hero, he was um Reading. glowing, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was glowing, and you know. <laughs> He Catra just kind of like like you know scrapes him off the floor and and takes him to the earth and so like it's not like we we saw Hero be like yeah I definitely want to go back to the earth and you know do stuff there like they don't really have a plan which is kind of what's going on in this episode is figuring out what they're going to be doing from now on and Hero is firmly of the belief that he can't that he can't quit this life that no matter what and where he goes he's going to be ending up fighting because that's it's he says it that's all he knows how to do really yeah hero just wants to found outer heaven right now and that's really all he's in for i'm sorry i took it right out of my notes (laughs) sorry look at our twitter feed later this week (laughs) yeah it's it's i mean like i got those vibes from uh uh just the the end the climax of this episode just because of the start of metal gear solid 2 like that's all i was thinking about was metal gear solid 2 i was waiting for olga to show up um PMC, you're Trying playing to... that soon on stream, right? I will be. That will be probably next week once I once I finish up Scarface. I actually just installed the the HD 360 HD version of a uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 onto my 360. So, Ooh, nice. I need coming. scissors. 61. Um, <laughs> the uh, I I had the, one of those moments where uh, uh, I said that out loud to my partner, and she was just like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> like oh no I'm sorry. yeah well, at least you didn't have to explain the concept of ebooks twitter accounts to your partner <laughs> christ <laughs> that was the worst shit um speaking well, of ebooks speaking of ebooks gundam wing gundam wing um do we i guess we can talk about dorothy now i know we kind of touched on a dorothy a little bit um i shout For out our to fourth dorothy <sighs> oh yeah oh no i didn't Not even think dorothy, about that though they're no dorothy. You could keep this, Dorothy Gundam okay. Wing. I, I need your takes. Is there meaning to be inferred from the comparison shot of the giant gold limousine versus the tiny pink limousine? Well, I mean, I can read of... my note, but hold on. <laughs> yeah, no, Stephen, please do, because I keep saying the things you mean to say. <laughs> uh, hold on. Is oh, okay. No, I... next one. Um, we one, right? see the shot of her car in this yeah, one. I got it. And, and, and not only that, but she is driving her own car. Um, and she is 16, but that's fine. There are some places where that's fine. Yeah, that, that's... Uh, all right, so I'll just read my notes here. There's a shot of Dorothy's car parked alongside Relina's, establishing a clear and none-too-subtle contrast. 
Dorothy's car is bolder and bigger. Its gold paint suggests a certain arrogance, and this is a very Trey's line I put down, hubristic intentions. In comparison, <laughs> Relina's car is, slightly, more understated and conforms to certain gender expectations, hence the pink paint. Dorothy drives her car, suggesting action. Relina has a chauffeur, suggesting caution. See, I mean, that's I, I completely agree with all, all those observations. I think, you know... It's it's I think this is along the same lines of the dog the dog is a metaphor unfortunately. I think this car is also a metaphor unfortunately. Um You don't think it, it's a stretch? Hey. <laughs> Antonio Banderas gift right here. Yeah, exactly. It's the um uh, uh what is it the the uh Lincoln Town, I don't know. Anyway, um, Who knows? something a Matthew McConaughey would be driving in a commercial. Yeah, it definitely seems like, you know, I, I, I joked about this privately to you guys, but it seems like she bought it from a dealership that Beck fr- from the Big O runs, like this yeah. giant, ostentatious, golden-plated thing. Um, but uh, we, when we first see her, she is disappointed when she witnesses the, the mobile dolls leaving the Sank Kingdom. She was she was pretty sure if she rushed, she'd be, get here in time to to watch this town burn to the ground it sounds like um uh, you know I, I made reference to this in my notes but uh in character she she most reminds me of zemeja from from Helsing. <laughs> she seems most aligned with zemeja in in a phil- philosophy anyhow who's um, that one again remind me zemeja is the the um uh the main prot- antagonist of Helsing. the the uh, the nazi at, at the head of the vampire nazis do you remember oh, his yeah, yeah, yeah. I- yeah. I love Vaugh. You know, infamously that the the last like fifteen minutes of episode four or whatever is that is that speech. I um, thought his name was like Maxwell or something. My memory's it funny. probably well Maxwell was uh, is a different character. He's the he leads the the like Vatican forces. Oh um, okay, I'm getting my lines crossed, but yeah, I gotcha. Y- yeah. Zemeja I don't believe has a name because spoilers he is a cyborg. Uh, but uh, I don't. I don't remember. I think he is just Zemeja in order to make him like a a faceless form of war, so to speak. Anyway, D- Dorothy. Oh, I was gonna say I I am not an expert in uh, in cosmetics or or like other you know doing your hair or things like that. Oh. Um, do, did anyone have any comments about the eyebrows? Oh, uh, my partner had many comments. <laughs> Can you share some of them? Are you able to? I would oh, be curious. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, to quote Shuri from Black Panther, "What are those?" <laughs> that's, that's mostly what she had to say. Um, oh, that's you know, a good I mean, think, let me write that down. Well, so I believe, and I could be wrong. I, I could be showing my arrogance about memes, to be honest, or not arrogance. Um, my uh, uh, lack of knowledge of memes, because I believe Shuri is actually referencing a meme already. Mm. I think that is a meme uh, oh, either from... I think from... you're right. I think that does pull from something, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that might just be um, uh, me being an old man. Uh, but uh, um, it's mostly just, I think, a way to... Relina has a very um, uh, Austinian version of, like, nobility going on. She is, uh, uh, she is trying to be, like, a Jane Austen character right where she is intelligent and grounded and she has like control of her environment and you know she's she's you know what people might describe nowadays as as kind of a one note character she's almost too perfect right like that's kind of what the show is almost um uh uh, uh trying to kind of poke holes in with dorothy like 
except like Verlina just kind of ignores it. But as far as like what's going on with Dorothy, I, I think we we're just meant to see her as more ostentatious, like a like a like a mutation of what Verlina is. Like what Verlina represents like the angle, and Dorothy is the devil, you know. Or whereas it's these sharp, uh, you know, eyebrows that are like uh, really done up, and her features are sharper and more hawk-like, and you know, she the should striking... uh, get together with Roger and they can compare their uh, their fucking eyelashes. No, for real, and and that's I think I really don't think there's much more. I think it really is just a design, an aesthetic choice, right? Where we, we could just see you see those eyebrows and you're just like evil you know <laughs> like you you just get a, a vibe from her right away um she, it's just very funny uh this character is one where uh i i'm not sure other than just as a, a like a, a a stick that the roma Feller foundation are trying to put in relina's bike spokes like i'm not sure what else to expect from this character moving forward but this episode she really doesn't do much except like Blow smoke up Rulina's ass a little bit. Hurry like, up and start a war. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I guess for me, I I just find every scene with her very frustrating, just because I have a keen sense of like uh, friction when it comes to when people are acting in bad faith. Like, I just can't. <laughs> I I have a hard time watching that happen, and and for characters on screen to just sort of let it happen, and for the show to be telling me like. No, this is the correct way to deal with this. It's just like, uh. yeah. did you did you guys experience that, or is that just Ignis? I I think I definitely share that frustration a little bit, but I also feel like uh, Pagan and Noin sort of like represent that viewpoint in the show implicitly, where they're like, "Nah, she's gonna get herself killed. We got to go get Gundams or something," you know. Where it's sort of like it, it's sort of implied that everyone, like at least. Even even the people who love Relina dearly think she's a little naive and are yeah, are, are taking action accordingly. There's a line by Major Sally. I think she really puts like her finger on the pulse of some of the themes here. She says that nobody wants to get involved in wars, but those people who have the ability to fight should fight. Like I don't think Gundam Wing's advocating for war, but saying like, the the Nazi boot is on your throat. You're gonna have to you know fight back to get it off you. Well, that's where it's weird, right? Because the show definitely like. It almost feels like it doesn't sincerely believe in what Relina is saying because it it it, it it's pr- putting forward a cartoonish version of what pacifism would be, right? Like it it especially in this next episode, we we see it portrayed as like a stubborn refusal to even defend yourself, right? Like it's just an acceptance of there is a um ah bah, 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 oh god what is it called? Wheel of Time has this. Uh, there is a, a it, like a form of this called like the Way of the Leaf. Where uh, a, a a people practice this, and even if violence is visited upon them, they just let it happen. And like, I'm just not sure. So the thing I want to state here is that I'm I'm specifically criticizing the fictional versions of these ideologies that we're seeing here, and the one I just described in Wheel of Time. When I say I'm not sure what the purpose of creating something like this is, other than like, how do I put this? Not satire. That's not the word. It just seems to be a, a a a comically flimsy or shallow version of those real ideologies set up to fail, right? Just to to, to serve some kind of like narrative purpose. And I, see, I think I, yeah, I think I agree with that. The one thing I was gonna, I mean, do you, do you want to finish your point before I? 
Oh, the, the only thing I was going to say is that, uh, you know, the, the, it just, it, I find this to be a point of frustration because I feel like there is room to have these conversations about, because Relina has a, a bunch of decent points, especially in the next episode about like, you know, I, I think everyone agrees that fighting is unnecessary and bad. So why does it keep happening? Right. And, and I think I'm like, wow, that's a really like, I would love for Relina to dig into that with like Dumail, right? Like so that she can be like, oh, so you're greedy. That's what it is. You want things and you want things that other people have. And instead of just earning them or working towards them or trading, you're going to take them with force. And that's what you like. Like that's that never comes up. It, the, the show treats these positions like never, ever fight. And actually fighting is the only truth as though they're two sides of a coin when they're not. <laughs> Does that make sense? That's yeah, really the point yeah. I was getting to. I think the one thing I was going to say is that I feel like right now, as I mentioned earlier, that I, you know, I, I love, I love it when the henchmen mech fight, uh, fight each other. But the the issue that I think right now, I I feel like I'm trying to imagine putting myself into like the mindset of like someone watching this show at the time or something, mm. and there's a big absence right now, which is Gundam's doing Gundam things on the screen, and so I feel like. I, I think one of the reasons that this um, sort of, you know, uh, cartoon version of <laughs> total pacifism exists here <laughs> is because it's, you know, it's providing a sort of a, a conflict suited for the new cool toys that are about to show up in a few sure. episodes. And that's kind that's- of... A- kind of feels like so it's unfortunate right because that means that we're we are doing this song and dance which as you say could be very interesting in service of uh an against all odds confrontation with the romafeller foundation and we're gonna have sick new gundams it's true that is something we will have i have terrible news by the way um i just i, I was curious to make sure i wasn't uh, completely wrong here so i looked up zemeja from helsing he does have a name it, I his name as it turns out is Montana Max. Montana I Max. Not, I did not know Montana Max is a Tiny Toons character. I want to move on because I did not know this. Um, but uh, I think that's that's is that it for twenty nine? I, I I mean, hero and catcher get away. Uh, yeah. they, Sally they, leaves to go get another Gundam. Yeah, we don't we so, don't see her again next episode. Annoying. Okay, I will. I'll talk about this for a little bit because it, it was. <laughs> this is kind of in the same wheelhouse as the nothing being difficult for the Gundam boys is kind of a storytelling problem. Um, I, I I also think it was weird how easy it was for Noin to break Sally out. Like, and, and when I say easy, I just wish there was maybe like instead of Catcher running with the dogs, if there was like one scene of Noin like planting some bombs or like you know, scouting out the the area. Because, like, Noin shows up in the Nintendo 64 uh, rendered, uh, you know, dock that Sally's taken to. Uh, she breaks into the Spencer mansion that Sally's in. Uh, and then they just leave. And and it's it's you know, it's fine that it wasn't really a to-do because they've got stuff to do later with the, the, the Pisces and the Cancers later when they recover Zero One. Um, it's just that, like... Why were they captured in the first place then? Like, what, what, what does this serve? Like, why, why aren't they just wandering around? Like, it, it really feels like this going through the motions thing isn't doing the show any favors. And at least in in this particular episode, despite the time with Sally and Noin being like enjoyable. I want uh, one quick me... uh, joke I thought of. 
Um, there's a joke from The Simpsons when like Marge, uh, Homer's spacing out. Marge asks Homer what he's thinking, and then it like cuts to like a little bubble above his head, and it's one of those toy monkeys with the symbol. So he's thinking about nothing. In the future, if someone asks me, and I'm like daydreaming, like, "What are you thinking about, Stephen?" Here, it's just uh, catch her running with the dogs. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fair. That's about the, the the equivalent of what's going on in Gundam Wing, at least in this episode. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of anything that we we should talk touch on. I think I feel like the next episode is is really following directly up on this one. Yeah. So we could very safely take a break and head over to White Castle to get some burgers. Let's do it. I finally got the pictures. <laughs> There's something so wild about him. Nice to meet you, Hiro Yui and Katra Rababa winner. Welcome to Earth. Welcome to a warrior's paradise. But don't be worried, Miss Relina. Brave knights are about to arrive before you who will be very helpful for your future. <sighs> they will be able to protect you. I would love to be... I would love to... I what just got this? back from running with some dogs after I threw a pineapple, a very small pineapple. You know how those are around in Australia. Actually, I don't. They might be for all I know. I do not know. That's a good question. <laughs> but that does bring us very quietly and calmly and peacefully into a reunion with Relina. Hero is bored, so he's decided to shack up with the Trey's faction of Oz as a mercenary. Catra kind of correctly points out this doesn't make much sense, but Hero, like I said, is bored. Meanwhile, Relina is espousing her philosophy to other young students, but Dorothy very kindly demonstrates how easy it is to ignore what she's saying and to sow doubt in its efficacy, without going so far abroad that she would need to be removed. It's almost as though her only intent is to throw a monkey wrench into Relina's goals, and Relina is just letting it happen. Hero and Katra eventually find themselves at the mercy of some mobile doll Virgos, but Noin shows up at the last moment with a finger of God laser to help clean things up, allowing them both passage to the Sanx Kingdom, where Relina awaits Hero. At first, I thought instead of Hero is Borg, I thought you said Hero is Borg. I was like, shit, did I miss something? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hero boy. is Borg. Resistance is futile. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, this one, I feel like, uh, gave me big, like, immediate after uh, Oz's coup vibes for episodes. Like, this this reminds me most of the Sally Poe uh, uh, Vietnam episode. Uh, or it wasn't strictly Vietnam, but it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, I believe it was China she was in and yeah. uh, or something to that effect. Uh, and, you know, this was the kind of thing that, that Gundam Wing was doing for a little while where it was like honing in on a, a small, like a relatively unimportant place and how things are world events are affecting that place. Um, and this episode kind of focuses on that with the two Gundam boys Hero having joined the Trey's faction very easily. Um, <laughs> I mean, Troa showed it was easy, right? Like, I guess anyone can do it now. I mean... Troa was vetted a little more, though. Like, yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting about this, and, like, I, I don't know if I want to say interesting about it, is that um, there is a, a world where I can kind of see th- it being, like, completely as easy as it, it is shown to be, where they're just like, well, we're desperate, and we know that yeah. you're good, it's just that, like, it's, it's again, it's kind of in that same category as the how easy it was for them to escape or how easy it was for them to, to even get to the destroyer boats and, and kick everyone off of it. Like, the show seems to take the, the Gundam boys' efficacy for granted, right? Like, they just are that good, so we don't need to show you them necessarily earning things. And that's fine, I guess, if that's not really the point of the episode, which this one, it, it isn't. 
right? The point of this episode is to kind of show that, like, Hero is a, a kind of a chaos agent, and, uh, you know, uh, even if it, his heart is in the right place, which it is shown to be in this episode, um, you know, he, he expresses, and, well, I don't know if expresses is the right term. He, he seems to be annoyed that the citizens haven't been evacuated, and he, and he dedicates his time to making sure that they, the citizens in that church are safe, you know? Um, but it's clear that with, without like a, a Catra influence that he would just be sort of adrift <laughs> in, in war, you know, he doesn't seem to have like a, a purpose or, or any sort of guiding ideology, which is kind of what this episode is about. It's like, well, let's get hero someone whose only thing is ideology. And, and maybe if we mix that chocolate and that peanut butter, <laughs> something will happen here. I'm glad Did you, you guys- brought up the setting. Um, and especially early in the show, there was a lot of, like, jet setting that I kind of appreciated. Like, when they went to Italy for that little car chase. I thought that was fun. And this was, uh, I think there's somewhere, like, in northern Europe, like Denmark or something. And I got, like, this This in my mind, and I'll post a tweet about this later so to give people a visual. This is, like, the closest thing we'll get to. Is like, what if World War II but Gundams? Because you see, like, the Leos, and they're in front of these, like, thatched houses that you might see out of, like, a Band of Brothers episode. And right. actually... The strangest thing is, because I know I've been pretty down like on some of the animation and the fight scenes, I actually kind of enjoyed, even though it's kind of disposable, I enjoyed some of the fights in this episode. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was going to say, the way you just described it reminded me a little bit of an MSA team, a little bit, just in terms mm. of putting the mobile suits next to just sort of normal-looking uh, houses. That's a great point. There's a real sense of scale in this episode. I think this one is, it, it kind of demonstrates that thing that um, uh, Gunnar Wing is correctly kind of disparaged for it, and how the the power of the individual Gundams makes the, the fight seems a little bit throwaway, and, and how this, the, the uh, stakes are just higher in this one. Just, you know, we know that the, the uh, hero is as good of a pilot as he is. He doesn't have a superior tech this time to, to fall back on. And and it's actually it, it later when he is uh, under the mercy of the Virgos, like that's in one of the more interesting fights that he's been in, just because of how much he can't win just by default in that one. Like he, you know, he gets his ass beat. Um, uh, one of the things that I enjoyed in this one is actually uh, we get our real sense of the the Virgos in this one. I think for the first time, like we've seen them and they've been suggested to us, and we understand that they're a mix of the. The V8 and the Mercurius or Mercurio. What, what's the? What I think is Mercurius, right? Yeah, Mercurius sounds right. right. Um, and here against the the land mobile suits, the Leos and the Ares, uh, we we see how much like that personal shield system just basically negates the previous uh, era of tech, and and it, it's a pretty decent way of showing like what effect on warfare mobile suits had in general, right? Like, you can imagine this being a similar sort of effect that, you know, when Oz introduced the mobile suits at all, like, you know, what happened to previous generations of warfare, right? Like, it's just completely obsolete once the mobile suits are introduced. And these Virgos, until the finger of God laser gets dropped, just roll over uh, the the land mobile suits. It seems like the Ares are okay against them. Catra gets that that punch in through the shield. It seems like... (laughs) The shield goes by uh, Dune rules and, and doesn't block <laughs> things that fat or slow. I, with, with the increased Gundam Wing discourse, this has been a thing I think is going to be said in every Gundam Wing tweet and podcast from now on. But again, all of the henchman suits are really good, and all the shots of uh, Catcher and the Ares firing the laser look great. Like there's all, actually an end shot too when I, I when I think um, the Ares is standing next to the Leo that just 
it looks great just holding the big laser and it's owns it's very nice yeah it's it's i think the I think part of it is stakes. I think the the sense that that getting shot while in these mobile suits it just means more than getting shot in in the Gundams. Like the Gundams are shown to be pretty impregnable to normal damage. Um, uh, and then we while uh, Katra while Hero is doing his thing with the Oz faction. Did you guys? I, I kind of steamrolled past that. Did, what are your guys' thoughts about the whole introduction of the the Oz faction as something our heroes want to be a part of? I guess for I, I me, go ahead, Steven. Well, no, 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 so, you, you, you. So yeah, no. But I was all I was gonna say is I'm not personally. I'm not gonna fault Hero too much. Like he wants to stick it to Romafeller. Like I agree, his options are pretty limited. I disagree with his assertion that his only option at this point is to fight. Like even with his battle scarred past, but uh, I think his expertise as a soldier is needed, and I think Romafeller needs to be put down. So I'm I'm not too upset with his choice. Yeah, it's not optimal, but I, I certainly like understand that, you know, it's just like, well, the enemy of my enemy must be like can be my friend, I guess. Yeah, I think I think for me I I, I uh I sort of mourn the a sense of continuity and uh uh I, I'm resentful of um I'm resentful of any any situation where they Oh boy, I I just don't really like the way that that Trey's was has been rolled out onto this show and and the effect that he has had on the 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 like makeup of it. Like I feel like there is a lot of <sighs> like racing to make him less of the bad guy than Roma Feller when he, he he's just <laughs> he just has a more of a weirdo philosophy than they do like they're they wear their greed on their on their sleeve and he, he has no real use for that like he he doesn't really need any of that stuff to be comfortable or happy you almost could get the sense that if he wasn't like nobility that he would still be fine just being like a, a soldier I, I almost want to see that world where if he didn't have all the amenities and wasn't at the basically the top of the food chain, would Trey still believe in the stuff that he believes in? Because it's very easy to do that when you don't have to worry about, you know, anything because you're rich. Like it, it's 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 that's that's kind of also my problem with Relina, right? Is that I don't know how much Relina is cognizant of her philosophy being one that is not she's taking for granted the the state of of pacifism as being more noble or just than fighting ever that fighting could only ever be done for the sake of a bad thing and 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 i feel like it it makes her argument easy to avoid or overturn you know like like when when dorothy is saying her um survival of the fittest uh, apocalypse from the x-men sort of spiel uh about the nature of humanity and conflict and all that stuff uh you know relina is just sort of like well i politely disagree and and doesn't really feel the need to address it even though like i i if if i'm not sitting here being like oh i think dorothy makes her point better i i just think that if i was in this setting where uh the past like who knows amount of time at least six months <laughs> at least has been you know tumultuous and basically entirely defined by war and weapons and 
it's just that if I was one of these these people, and I had to assume the other girls in class are also like royalty or something. They are, yeah. It's they like are. you're you're from your respective countries, right? Like they they appear to be like diplomats in training or something. Despite all being girls, like it, it appears to be like an old girl school or something like that. Um, and, and like they're it's just not very encouraging to me like it, it appears to not be teaching like a a sense of like oh let us let's all be aware of each other's differences like that's that's part of what's weird about her speech in the beginning it's like she's like i acknowledge that some conflicts were unavoidable but now conflicts forever will be avoidable I'm like wait excuse how do you how do you like you know how do you deal with people who are under threat ideologically that 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 are you know uh, or people who have been wronged and and you know the only real way to write it would be not necessarily retributive justice but what if that that does occur like does that should that then be punished by more retributive justice like it just feels like relina's and and we talked about this in the last episode and maybe I shouldn't cover this ground already it just feels like the they're taking relina's position for granted as the good one and that dorothy's feels more thought out like it feels like they've uh, created more of an argument for Dorothy than Rolina and I'm and I'm bummed out because it feels like it's going to keep playing out this way. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully yeah. I think this this sequence is good to focus in on though in terms of the Dorothy versus Rolina situation because I think it illustrates that the the effectiveness of Dorothy communicating her viewpoint is actually almost irrelevant. Because it's really more just about, like, Dorothy could literally just get a pile of sand and throw it at Relina, and I feel like it would have the same same sort of effect. And Because Relina would be like, well, you may have done this thing, but I, you know, I don't agree. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and it would, would, you know, more more quickly point out how how ludicrous, uh, you know, this, the naivete of um, of Relina is. It's just, you know, I, I just feel like it's, it's that thing where there's this thing that can happen when it comes to reaction to to fiction or media or whatever where uh you you get tired of the the protagonist having like what what is supposed to be like admirable traits right like th- that can sometimes be a, like uh, conflated with just being sort of boring right because we understand societally like oh you know we, we should be kind to one another we should express empathy we should take charge in situations where, when we're called to it you know and so there could be a sense sometimes that the the more interesting characters are flawed ones, right? Where uh, uh, there's more of a journey to go through or more of a, I don't know, uh, 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 problem to overcome. And, and so there's this sense sometimes that like, oh, we don't need to put much thought into the good person or the person that we want to admire or the person that, that ha- has traits that we want to look up to. We can just let that be obvious and like what the the like uh what is the best way of putting this we can let that we could take that for granted essentially we 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 acknowledge these truths to be self-evident and therefore we don't need to work that hard on making showing our work you know like obviously peace is preferable and not fighting is preferable and not murder is preferable so explain to us then when when dorothy says like oh but if i have a big gun and i shoot you and I take all your things, you're dead now and you can't stop me. And then Relina is just kind of like, yeah, I guess. And 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 then the, the scene moves on and Dorothy is like, not like, it, it's not convincing Dorothy and it's not convincing me in the audience. So I'm, I'm not sure what we're doing. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it, it, it's, it's, 
you know, we have a point of view now, which is that pacifism is better than non-pacifism. Um, but it seems like the show, I mean, obviously the show doesn't believe in that because we're, uh, in this intro of the episode, we're shown some brand new cool Gundams that we're going to be seeing at, at some future point that was confusing to my partner because she was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, oh no, we haven't seen that yet. I'm not sure why it's showing us now. The narrator is just here to fuck with you again. <laughs> that goddamn narrator. Yeah, uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I'm, you know, I, I feel like I wish they just didn't. I, I wish they didn't show us these scenes if they're not really going to go anywhere or do anything other than establish r- there's peace, Relina, and war, Dorothy. And I I hope that their their conflict is going to be more interesting than this. Like, either that their points will individually get better or that they will be able to uh, actualize their conflict in a way that is more interesting to see. What else happens in this episode? Cat Hero and Catra are in a town, and uh, there's well, uh, some heat. Oh, go I was ahead. just gonna say. Well, I mean, so you're you're getting to it, but basically that there's um, we discover as I guess kind of what you're talking about, where we see a small scale version of what's playing out in the larger world, which is that this village happens to be totally into total pacifism. And as a result, they don't want to join the ranks of the purple shirts of the Rimmefeller Foundation to fight the green shirts, the trees faction. Uh, and, right. and so it plays out where, and I think like the first, uh, the first um, uh, skirmish, the you know they don't evacuate the citizens, and then the citizens are like, actually, you know what, this sucks. Let's peace out. And then by, by the time the second skirmish happens and the Virgos show up, they've, uh, you know, they've, they've peaced out. Um, and so you sort of, Catra, I guess, learns about the, uh, learns about total pacifism in the Saint Kingdom. And, he, and he's like, ah, that's it. I have a new idea. We are going to uh, go to the Saint Kingdom. Um, and that's why, he, you know, he, he just casually, the most casual jacking of a mech I've ever seen in my life is Catra taking the Ares off of that one soldier. He's like, yep, well, this is mine now. Bye. I was, I was very confused about that. That when, man is I mean, dead. I, that man is so I, dead. I accepted it when I saw it, but I was like, well, so wait, did it, is he just going to take that one? And I was like, well, I guess he did. Um, but there, there's we, we spend some more time here uh, as the show sort of affirms its sense that total pacifism is just the most noble of all paths without really like explicating more than just like people are just kind of tired of of the rich people conflicts that are happening around them and being like pushed into it which is fair it just doesn't feel like what i would kind of describe as something closer to nihilism is is like the real answer to that like because really when they say total pacifism what they're really saying is that they're just not going to fight whatever happens to them whatever happens to them is just going to be what happens and that's that's all there is to it and I don't know if that's the same thing as pacifism. Like, yeah. it, it, There's a way that civil disobedience can be used effectively to challenge the status quo. And I give a little more credit to the mayor because he's not operating really from a position of power. Um, he's, you know, his town is under um, military occupation. Relina, on the other hand, has a lot of power. She lives a very privileged life and can wield that power effectively. And she chooses not to, which is so frustrating. We get like a, a third a third grader trying to explain pacifism too much, which is, which I agree with you is very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're, what they're going for is like, ah, oh, she's going to be 
a like I, I haven't said the 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 c word the centrism word so much but it, it it really feels like um a pretty classic anime like no the true answer is somewhere in between that there is a there is a uh uh you know extremes on both ends like that that uh Verlina's extreme pacifism is not the answer and that the Romafeller's extreme warmongering is also not the answer and the true answer is some invincible boy bodies uh in cool action figures that will protect the main girl character and and like uh, you know <laughs> i always I enjoy the cuts it produces though because relina is blabbing on about total pacifism and then it cuts to like fucking major sally annoying in the trenches like dodging gunshots and like trying to get something done well that that's kind of where i get frustrated a little bit like you are correct to bring up sally annoying because uh they're doing things like I don't know if what Noin is doing makes sense other than like on a character level. Like I understand that she would feel fondly for Relina because of her relationship to Zex, but like I I don't know if cuz Noin when we when we see her when we are introduced to her, she is a true believer, right? She she is obviously mostly just loyal to Zex, but she was there with the coup. Like, she's one of the people who calls it a revolution, right? And, like, you can... I, I, if I remember correctly, she definitely, I think, is one of the people who's like, Ooh, do we, uh... Do we do a bad? Uh, <laughs> do, we, do we fuck this up? <laughs> um, but, like, even so, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure necessarily if I understand where she is, other than her, her sense that she would need to protect Lena because of her refusal to do the good faith things that would protect herself, right? Mm-hmm. But with Sally, like, Sally has had a position the whole show, which is, like, pro-Earth, pro con-Oz, you know? Like, pro-peace, con-war, uh, and and her, like, sort of shacking up with the Gundam pilots as a sense of, like, well, these boys represent, like, the true nobility of war. Like, that doesn't make sense, but at least, like, I, I get it, right? I get where Sally's coming from here. Of all the people who have been, like, touched by the Gundam boys... Uh, she's the one that that I feel like is the most reasonable, right? Uh, do you do you guys think that's a fair take or or yeah, yeah? Uh, it, it's you know, and so for for Sally and and Noin to be out there, like not necessarily fighting and killing, but but doing stuff, right? And and obviously people get hurt on the side there, like when they blow up those cancers, like I'm I'm sure those guys are dead, um, but. It's 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 still a thing where they're they're accomplishing things that will eventually have an effect on this war and and I don't I just don't know if what Relina's doing ever will and I'm not even saying that the show is arguing like no Relina's doing the right thing um, but I I resent the them put the show that is putting Relina in a position to be like equated to the the fascists in Romafeller, right? Like, not to say that Rolina isn't a fascist, because <laughs> she is the sovereign leader of her nation, but, you know, the it's one of those things that I, I wish the show had a little bit more of a, like, nuanced touch with, but uh, maybe that's wishing for the wrong kind of thing from this show, you know? And, like, unless uh, Waltz will bring this up again, or relitigate it, because, like, yeah, let's achieve total peace. Let's shoot these fucking Gundams into the sun. Oh, wait. Mm, we kind of need them to put down these other fascists. Right. Like, I, I guess I wish there was a, a better way of having this conversation, right? Of of having the conversation of, like, obviously the ideal thing. Because I also don't want this to spill over into more, like, uh, heavier, more real conversations about 
like denuclearization, uh, like that sort of thing. Like, I don't know if that's within the purview of what I'm talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. I I think that there, that's not as a, uh, you know, straightforward a situation necessarily, even though it it is, but uh, it's one of those things where I, I feel like I can see the show actively being cynical (laughs) about the concept you know, because there's no way Gundam Wing is getting rid of guns. <laughs> you know, like it's in the fucking title, so they're not. No, be... Max, that's dumb. And that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no way it's it's not. So, so we're sitting here and we're debating the merits of total pacifism, and and, and I can't help but feel like we're we're you know we're just kind of spinning our wheels, right? Until until we get to an action scene, like and and you know, not to. You know, not to, to get some whiplash here, but I, I will say this grounded action in the last two episodes have been pretty cool. I've been you know, enjoying it. Yep. Yeah, it's Likewise. you know, it's it's the kind of that UC era g- grounded sort of like actual militaristic combat that the Gundam Wing has not been doing for for the majority of its run. Uh, at least when the Gundams are actually involved. Like as soon as a Gundam is involved then the scope of the battle will completely change. It's Dynasty Warriors at that point. Right, exactly. The one thing I do uh, want to bring up, because uh, I did, I agree with you, that's why it's so hard, like, when I'm writing my notes, it's usually, I'm going to write a little summary and then, you know, critically analyze them. I'm like, well, writing some summary, well, that is my notes. But the one thing I noticed, too, is, like, we have a real vacuum of, like, information of what happened in however many months between, quote-unquote, season one and season two. Like, Relina right. had a big change. She did some stuff. She had a turning point, ideologically, kind of. And, um... Like, also, the war between the Trace faction and the Roma for- fellow organization. Like, I wonder who's the underdog. And one observation I did have is that tra- the Trace faction must really be putting the screws, at least on some fronts, to the Roma fellow foundation. Because they're really engaging in some last-ditch efforts. Like, we see those two soldiers who are interrogating very forcefully the old man and his apples. And uh, almost oh, like they, yeah. they're trying to, like, enroll him in the war effort. And I start thinking about historical precedents. And I thought to myself, like, when Napoleon really had... An advantage over the British uh, Navy, for example, the British Navy dragooned, like dragooned, is one of my favorite verbs, like bringing people into service forcefully without their consent. But dragooned a lot of debtors and homeless men into active service because you know those master commander ships, you need like 200 people on board to man them. And uh, even like in the end of World War II, for example, um, Germany formed what's referred to as the Volkssturm. It was a militia militia unit made up of old men and old women and little boys, but it was meant as a last line of defense. I'm thinking at least to myself, man. The Trades Foundation must really be making some, some like, not only threats, but also making some uh, n- noticeable ground over the uh, Romafella organization. Like, there must be a real threat. Uh, something I thought was confusing about this touch, uh, you know, just to, uh, to bring it back around to that, that good old Gundam Wing style of very confusing storytelling, is, is that I thought it was interesting to sort of threaten, like, a draft for the, the old men and women in town when the the faction that's doing that is the one the reason okay cuz keep this in mind the reason Trey split from Romafeller was an ideological split about the mobile dolls right like that is the reason why he left and now we're seeing that faction recruiting humans right and and like and I was like oh you know if the show stuck to its guns a little bit better about what these people are actually representing like we'd be seeing the trays people like like organizing people rounding them up to join their forces right because that's what trays believes in trays believes in the beauty of war and death and losers right that's that's 
you know, what his ideology is supposed to be. But because we're not supposed to like Romafeller and we are supposed to like the, the, the Trey's guys, even though, like, I'm, I'm simplifying it right now, but the side that Hero is on, we're supposed to like. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we see them doing the draft of, of unwilling people. And, like, you know, that's a, as a storytelling technique, that's a classic sort of way to represent despotic rule, right? Which is, like, a drafting unwillingness into the military, right? Um, unwillingly, I should say. Um, I don't know. I just kind of... I, it, it, it's one of those things where, because I can go down these Ignis alleyways during while I'm watching a thing, I, I just kind of wish that there was a little bit more of a thought-out ideology at play here, other than these are the bad guys and, and those are the worst guys over there in blue. Um, but I don't know. It's fine in the long run. The point is, I agree with you, Stephen Hero. I wish there was a a better sense of the continuity. I wish that goddamn narrator just told us. You know? <laughs> so you hate him, but upon my rewatch, I kind of learned to appreciate him. Because he was, I think the writers acknowledged too, like we need to recenter this sometimes. So we need to get like some other force to explain some of these events as best as you can. Uh, there was also, uh, did you guys have a, a sense of why they're trying to, do you think um, Pagan and Noin, the reason they're not like cluing Relina into all the stuff that they're doing, it, do they just not want to get like chewed out or what are they afraid of? <laughs> are they, like maneuvering around other than like Relina would not obviously want mechs in her, her city or what have you? Yeah, I, mean, I think they re- they they recognize that what they're doing doesn't uh, doesn't comply with what Relina believes. I guess. Yeah, I guess. I, I guess for me, I was just sort of like, well, what is she gonna do about it? <laughs> like, you yeah, know, when I, I, when I first started episode twenty nine, the episode before this, I was had a very generous read of uh, Relina before I thought she was just flat out naive. I thought maybe she maybe this is all a front, and she knows that she has her underlings and subordinates doing the dirty work, but she's putting on this positive face publicly. But I was like, no. No, she does not know. She's committing full hog to total pacifism. I, I I hope in the future there's more of clarification of what she's actually thinking, like what what her positions actually are. Because like I, I don't know. I really want to like Relina, especially at the end of this episode, which is maybe the most glorious Relina moment yet, which is saying a lot. But uh, uh, Duo, oh fuck, no, Duo's not here. Well, he is here. He's in sunglasses. Uh, he's he's leading Red Squad. But uh, 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 Hero and Katra are rescued by Noin from the Virgos. Um, I know we haven't really. I like the Virgos. Like they're kind of um, you know, they're they're definitely very like standardized, right? Like they're just sort of like bulbous like chubby versions of the leos with with those um uh, uh pylons for uh or air rods for for shielding but there's something about the way that they are uh, uh uniform and uh bulkier and uh, uh they're sort of uh in this episode they do a good job of showing how coldly efficient they are right like it, these mobile dolls were were always aiming at cockpits and they and anytime we saw like them taking a shot and then it cut away to a, a leo you knew it was getting headshot like almost like a, a second later um and i thought that was a good way of demonstrating the like the threat of the mobile dolls as com- as compared to the uh, uh 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 the human soldiers like that's something that we've complimented before in the space battles but i, I thought this was that headshot thing was a pretty elegant way of doing the same thing here on the ground. Mm-hmm. 
but uh, Noin takes uh, Hero and Catra to the Sank Kingdom. And um, I, I actually love the moment where <laughs> she's like, oh, I guess Relina. I guess Fagin told Relina. And Fagin's like, yeah, I did. Yeah. My bad. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, Hero is is uh, uh, hurt from the battle. And so Catra helps him out. Catra, I don't think. Hmm, no, I don't think Catra knows about Hero and Relina. Uh, uh, I don't think Catra has been hanging out with Hero long enough for that to, because Duo would definitely know, and Tro would definitely know. Unless like, he felt it in like his soul of outer space when a Hero was uh, radiating energy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not impossible. <laughs> um, but there is this moment where... Uh, Hero is walking down the the stairs to to uh, greet uh, Relina, and Relina does a move that I don't hmm I don't hmm I don't know if I can bring any justice to or give any justice for I should say, um, but uh, it is some big dick energy. I have, yeah. I have never it's been very more like it. I have never been more like it, like impressed and intimidated by a, a, a fictional character than in this moment when she raises her eyebrow. I was like, damn, like she has taken control of this area. <laughs> it just, I was struck with how, how like defenseless hero in particular is to Verlina. <laughs> um, and, and how the other thing is like, you don't really get this kind of personality in anime. Not really. This is, I think, that, that thing that I've been describing as Austinian almost, where mm-hmm. there's a, a wit and a, and a sort of uh, irreverence for their invincible war-like status that I think endears Relina to me eternally. Like, this last moment was, was <laughs> one of my favorites. I think might be, like, my, my top ten gun wing moments, period. But that is kind of the end of this episode. Were there any beats or any any bits that you guys wanted to bring up before we started to wrap this up? I think the only one that I would want to highlight is that it's a it's sort of a point in this episode that Hero is willing to go out of his way to shield civilians, uh, which sort of I think establishes that uh, you know Hero is. As much as Hero is here for retaliation, uh, I think he has still been been affected by the goings on. That he is not just mission boy. Yeah, I, I I wrote like, are we witnessing some growth here? It's like the icy facade starting to crack. I I don't know if season one Hero would have done the same. Like he protected Relina that one time at the the ball, then that nighttime ball. But it's Relina we're talking about, not some rando civilian. Like if you think back to the first few episodes, those EMTs, those kind-hearted EMTs, come up to see if Hero is all right, and he socks him in the face. <laughs> Here we see like a, a real turnabout. No, I think um, I think that's uh, I think it's worth pointing out because I I, I wonder, you know, again I don't want to be cynical, um, but I, I I wonder how much of this was just a, a realization that that they needed to clarify some characters down a bit, like like you know who Hero is and why we should care about him is is something that we haven't really been spending a ton of time clarifying in these in these last couple episodes and so putting him in a position to be like explicitly like better than the enemy the the Roma feller guys cuz we keep cutting to um mustache guy who who is like yeah we should kill all those civilians yeah. <laughs> and and like you know cuz later he he has this bit where they're like well this town is dedicated to total pacifism so we were going <laughs> to blow it up eventually anyway so fuck it and and so like there 
there's to to have hero act in the way he does it feels like they're they're purposefully like like contrasting those two beats right so i I think it's worth pointing it out right because he definitely hasn't been explicitly heroic heroic so it, it's 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 nice to have uh, a straightforward <laughs> character moment from one of our main characters. Um, quick, do we I don't want a, th- a third like Japanese creative property that names its protagonist hero. We have Lunar Two H I R O, and we have Hero yeah. Yui H E E R O. Do we have a third? Oh sure, that that's definitely not a. I mean, yeah, this isn't quite the same, but you could even go like Shiro, Shiro Amata mm. from fucking Eighth uh, MS team. But Hero is is I believe just a name. I, I don't think that that's a, a H I R O. I think it's just a proper ass name. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it not an, it's not anime, but they also do that in Snow Crash. Hero, oh. his, his name is Hero protagonist. So I mean, Snow Crash has you know thoughts, but <laughs> yeah, I mean that isn't that uh, I, isn't that the satire for for the state of uh, a cyberpunk at the time or so, something like that? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while that, since I read that book. I think this is just. I mean, I don't mean I don't want to invoke invoke this, uh, but I believe Hero is the name of the protagonist in Darling in the Franks. So I I, I think this is just a proper name. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, I will, I'm just shooing Darling in the yeah. Franks. Get, get out of here. A dark shadow crossed our podcast. <laughs> Pagan's picking up the gun and just finishing it off. <laughs> well, I had dish with me in case of Darling in the Franks. Takes him um, behind the chemical sheds and just shoots him. Um, but uh, with with these two episodes, I, I think we are we are firmly uh, establishing what the the Earth conflict is going to be. Relina is vulnerable to the, the forces of Romafeller who do not serve her nobility or her ideology and are happy to assassinate her like they did her father. Um, and so Hero and Catra will have to intervene in some way. Uh, meanwhile, space? The, the You know, uh, Duo and uh, the, the Wufei, I guess, are still up there. And maybe Troa? Uh-huh. <laughs> And I guess uh, in the last episode we saw Epion, so that that's something somewhere. Eventually, yeah, Trace like, is chilling in some bathtub somewhere. Yeah, he's having a great time. I mean, it just seems like he's he's living his best life. He's going to be doing uh, rich people shit no matter what. It's, that's <laughs> which is not wrong, right? I mean, that's actually pretty accurate. As it turns out, is that no matter how much power you strip from rich people, somehow they still manage to be doing rich people shit. Kush Renata, Kush. <laughs> But um, we, I will. I'm, I think this is a good, a good time to to cut us off because I am I am now diving deep down the hole of a fictional character's name, hero, and I have found the Thomas the Tank Engine hero, who is a Japanese tender engine, famously known as Master of the Railway. Yeah, well, uh, this podcast has gone off the rails. <laughs> oh. So, on that note, uh, I was one of your hosts, Ignis Maddox, Stephen Hero, PMC Trilogy. And you can catch us as, as we're diving down the Thomas the Tank Engine Wikia. Whee! <laughs> <laughs>